0: I'm Carrie Miller, and each week we add a deep track, a book interview from the archives that parallels in some ways the themes of the new discussion. Today, as we await my Talking Volumes conversation with religion scholar and philosopher Karn Armstrong, we're bringing you my last show with Karn Armstrong at The Fitz. It was 2019. She was out with a book about rediscovering sacred texts, and reading them with a fresh contemporary perspective. So here's Karn Armstrong. Our guest tonight, Karn Armstrong, has begun her book tour in the United States just as Americans are learning yet again that fewer of us identify as Christians. This is something I've been talking about On my show, it got a lot of media attention when the Pew Research Center report came out. More of us identify as unaffiliated with any specific faith, and more of us are calling ourselves agnostic. The Pew Research Center published that analysis in mid-October, and I thought this was really interesting, and this continues the trend among young Americans, right? They are not calling themselves atheists. They're calling themselves unaffiliated. This is something I want to talk to Karin about, too, because she travels around. She's just recently been in Canada um, where she had an interesting experience and a huge audience that kind of surprised her. So she's watching trends in the States and beyond as well. Religious service attendance is down Why aren't many of us, particularly the rising generations, being drawn to the communities of our faiths? And do the scriptures that interpret and animate those faiths have anything fresh and new to say to us? Karen Armstrong takes note of these questions in her new book, and she writes that any religious revival must revisit those scriptures and make them speak directly to the suffering and the rage and the hatred that is rife in today's world and that imperils us all. Her new book is titled The Lost Art of Scripture, Rescuing the Sacred Text. Please give her the warmest of welcomes to the stage of the Fitzgerald Theater. I was wondering if you'd had a chance to look at some of the numbers of that Pew Research report no, I haven't. that came out in mid-October. Mm-hmm. So, but you are aware of the trend that has been going on with pulling away from religious
1: affiliation. Yes, uh, but uh, in Canada, uh, where I usually find the audience very secular, much more like the British uh, than, than, than Americans... Uh, this time was, it was quite, quite different. We had a huge uh, audience and they were very emotional about religion and asking very uh, sort of pertinent, deep questions and all the books got sold. Uh, and <laughs> Which <laughs> and, is a good thing. Yes, wonderful. Uh, but but they were very emotional when they came up to talk to me. They have not had that in Canada before. What... what
0: mystifies me about this is that it, particularly with the rising generations, the younger Americans who are identifying more and more often as unaffiliated, they are not generations who aren't interested in community. They're very interested in community. Yes. So what is it about the religious community that is not
1: magnetic to them? If they're interested in, and I co- come to this in my book, that if they're interested in helping to improve the community, uh, to build a sense of community, um, the churches aren't often doing that. Um, Did you you hear the ripple go through the audience here? um, You know, very often, um, I think since the separation of church and state, uh, people, religion has retreated slightly. And so, you know, you, you, they'll, people go and sing a few hymns and then go back to lunch. Uh, but what I've found that what all the scriptures insist upon, uh, whether they're uh, Jewish, Christian or Muslim, but also Chinese or Indian, is that you mu- the scriptures must be... In, uh, translated into practical action in the community. Um, There's a famous story about the Buddha uh, in the the Buddhist scriptures that uh, say that after he achieved enlightenment, the inconvenient thought occurred to him that perhaps he should help other people to do this. Um, And he thought to himself, well, you know, no, I don't want to do that. I, I, I'm really <laughs> wonderful um, and, um, and, I, I, and this, it, what I've done is very hard and people are going to, not going to want to do that and it's going to be very discouraging so I think I'll just leave that to one side at which point the god Brahma in the highest heaven uttered a terrible cry and he cried then the world is lost the world will be utterly lost and so he came down from the highest of the heavens and knelt, the god kneels before the enlightened man. And he said, Lord, please preach your teaching. Uh, look at the world. And it says that the Buddha looked at the world with an eye of compassion, with the, and with the eye of a Buddha, which means that uh, with an eye of compassion. And he spent the next 40 years of his life tramping around the streets of India, um, talking to kings, commoners, anyone, helping them to deal with their pain. And he also told his monks to do the same. He said, after achieving enlightenment, you must go back to the marketplace, to the mess of human affairs, mm-hmm. not sit basking under some tree or other. Uh, but, and, and help to heal the suffering of the world. And they all insist on this. Um, and I think there's very often religion has become kind of privatized, uh, so that it, 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 people want to polish their own spirituality, get their own enlightenment. And yoga, for example, um, it's not an aerobic exercise. Um, it, it's designed to take away the ego that stops us going out and working night and day to heal the pain of the world. And the Chinese were utterly insistent on this. Uh, Jesus uh, said, those of you who say, Lord, Lord, will not be the ones who get to the kingdom, but th- those who to whom he can say at the last on the last day, I was hungry, you gave me to eat. Thirsty, you gave me to drink. Sick, naked, and in prison. And you helped me. Uh, and the Quran is simply, it's not about jihad, nothing at all. It's, a, it's a, a summons to create a just and decent society where poor and vulnerable people are treated with respect. Always there's that uh, impulse that you must go back to the community, and build a better world. Um, and I think, I, su- I, I can't speak for the American churches because I, um, I don't go to them very often for obvious reasons. Um, I, I'm living away. But, the, uh, but I, I get a sense of privatization. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the uh, Catholic Church, When at the end of Mass, in, in, in the Latin Mass, the priest would say, Ite missa est, go, you're sent forth. And he didn't mean, no, go home for lunch. Um, It it means to go back to the world of pain, injustice, and suffering, and try and heal it. Uh, 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 That's what what I leave the book with, is is that there is that the scriptures summon us, not just to polish our own souls, and not just to sort of get into heaven, Uh, which which was how I spent my youth, I think, Uh, trying, would I get into heaven? It was like trying to get into Oxford. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know, but uh, so that you, and some of the, yoga, for example, or mindfulness, um, it's not about making yourself more me. Um, It's about realizing that the self is a sort of fiction. When the Buddha uh, taught his monks to practice mindfulness, the point of it was that they would discover that the self did not exist. The self was ephemeral, that we, that we, we so many thoughts and feelings run through our minds uh, in the course of uh, a few seconds that it's very dis- difficult to see who you are. And so you let the self go, said the Buddha, and go back to the marketplace. Karn, I
0: wonder also if some of this is the authority, the, the authorities in these, in these faiths and faith communities feel apart from that sense of community too. Yes. That there is not a, whole, a perceived wholeness between the leaders
1: of these, I don't know, individual churches or the well, faiths well, yes. as a whole. That, that certainly is true. Look, in London, my city... Uh, It's one of the richest countries in the world. And 25% of the population are living in poverty. Um, And record numbers of people are sleeping in the street. This is a disgrace. Mm -hmm. But what I think people notice, that you don't hear the Archbishop of Canterbury mentioning this, and he must step over these people as he tries to get into his palace uh, in Westminster. Um, you know, uh, there, there, there's a, a complete disengagement. Unless people see that religion is not just about polishing your soul or attaining peace of mind. In fact, you gain peace of mind by forgetting yourself and going out into the world. And I feel strongly about this because I, my uh, early... Uh, experience of religion both before I became a nun and during it it was all about me about my feelings about the Lord and uh, my meditations and my progress and, and was I going to be a good nun or was I going to get into heaven a lot of times I doubted that and, um, but there was no thought uh, that uh, you go out really and, and heal the pain. I mean, what was
0: that? Your own youth and naivete. You were very young when you went into the convent, or was that also what was missing in? I think it's still the missing community. I
1: think it's still missing, um, and I, I th- think people do step up uh, when there's something dreadful has happened, like that tower block that was burnt down two years ago in London, mm-hmm. and uh, the local religious yes. communities opened their doors and helped. Far more than the government did. Yeah, uh, that 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 was that was excellent. But, uh, in the main, we're not encouraged to step forth into into uh, the, the the mess of human suffering, and you see, every state in the world has been unjust. Um, uh, When I wrote my last book uh, about religion and violence, I found that in pre-modern civilizations, a tiny aristocracy comprising about 10% only of the population um, took away the surplus of the peasants and forced them to live at subsistence level. Uh, That was 90% of the population and use that to fund their cultural uh, enterprises. Now, historians tell us that without this terrible system, human beings would not have advanced beyond a primitive level because it created um, a privileged class that had the leisure and the time to develop the arts and sciences on which our progress has depended. And, uh, but the... And and what's happening now is that people are seeing uh, the uh, wealth of the the rich. Yes. Uh, Because we still, for all our talk about how equal we are and how democratic we are, there's still massive inequity and global inequity too. Um, But in the old days, the peasants never saw the, inside these palaces. Um, in China, the peasants lived uh, outside in the countryside in, in underground dwelling pits. Wow. And they never went into the cities which were the home of civilization. So in the, in the British Museum, we have wonderful artifacts created by the uh, ancient Chinese aristocracy. Peasants never set eyes on them. Um, and their, their life was completely different. But now, of course, people, we flaunt our wealth. People see it. And that's why every day people are dying, literally dying, to get into the UK. Uh, come, migrants of coming in flimsy, inadequate boats and drowning. Um, and just a, a week ago, 29 people from Vietnam were uh, were killed in in, in a refriger- refrigerated lorry, get being brought illegally into, into Britain. Um, and uh, so, this this is a system we've, we we've got we've got. This is where the religions should be coming forth with this message of equity and concern, which they all have. All the world religions are concerned about this inequity. It's one of the themes of the book. All the scriptures are very, very concerned about it. Uh, but And insist that religion get, makes you work for something better. And now what we've got to do, in those days you, you, you get tended to concentrate on your own community. But we've now created a global community. We're interconnected now as we never were before. We're all linked on the World Wide Web. Uh, uh, economically, when stocks fall in one part of the world, the markets plummet all around the globe that day. We, um, and we, So we have... A, 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 but the more global we become, the more people are retreating into little national getters, like they have the nonsense of Brexit, for example. Um, <laughs> This hideous drama that has torn Britain apart. And um. what, what is your? Since you brought this up,
0: what what is your? What's
1: your analysis of what it's really about? Oh, Brexit. Yeah, I think I I think it shows two things. First, what I've just said uh, that um, there the, the, the inequity uh, the that exists in in Britain, uh, the rich parts of the country, the big cities, uh, particularly centres of industry and cl- culture and all the rest of it, they all voted to stay, to remain in. Uh, but it's the people in the left-behind areas um, who have suffered particularly badly from the uh, austerity measures taken by the government to decrease the national that's Right. Uh, they feel left behind. But also, I think it shows the inadequacies of democracy, the problems of democracy. How so? Uh, I've got a friend uh, uh, who, uh, a Belgian intellectual, who's written a very good book saying, Against Elections. Um, and uh, he points out that the Americans and the French, when they created their uh, democracies, um, chose the democratic system because it was the least democratic way. The, uh, of, of, because, because, and you saw it in Brexit, people were putty in the hands of unscrupulous politicians like the uh, present prime minister, um, who told them a pack of lies about how the NHS would be rich. And, um, and, he, and he was doing it simply, uh, to, as to get into number ten next time um he didn't believe in, he, he didn't believe in brexit um and but he thought he would be on the side of the people, and that when we, they lost the referendum, he would say that I fought for you, I wish I could sail into number ten, which is done anyway but uh, but he told they, they were told lies um about how it would be. And they have no means of judging that. They 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 don't know enough, um, and many of them have no very little understanding of what, what Brexit would involve. When you you mean average citizens? Yes. Okay.
0: I, so if not elections, I don't
1: know. Don't ask. Then what? I don't right? know. No. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but I think I, I think this this is this is a problem. And I I think you had it in this country, too. Um,
0: (laughs) I thought this would be one night where his name was not uttered, but maybe not. Um, Here's something else I wanted to ask you. You you mentioned you had this concept when you decided to go into the convent at age... 17. 17. Oh, that's what I thought. Did you, did you imagine that you would be removed from the kinds of things that you are now consumed with? And you, you should be consumed with this, right? Yes, yes. Did, uh, you, did you think, my life will be devoted to being kind of removed and above that? Yes. And that is, that is what I am called for.
1: Certainly. Uh, we, we, called it, we called it the world. We, we're leaving the world. Okay. Uh, with, there you have it in a nutshell. And we went, but also, um, we were uh, sort of endlessly obsessed with our own progress. But I was imagining that what I'd become was sort of some Buddha-like creature, Um, you know, (laughs) sort of profoundly serene, uh, no longer uh, sort of rocked back and forth with uh, sort of anger and rage and jealousy and sorrow and bitterness and all the things that we go through as adolescents, that I'd get beyond that and become sort of holy and uh, uh, sort of peaceful and just saintly. But it it didn't happen. (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) And and it didn't. And why? And, of course, it couldn't happen because we we were just endlessly preoccupied. Instead of leaving the self behind, we were preoccupied with our progress, I mean, we had to examine our consciences twice a day and jot down what we'd done wrong and tick whether we little, little notebooks of whether we'd done this or failed to do that. Um, and we had to confess our faults uh, in public once a fortnight. Uh, and uh, if, if we broke... I mean, everything was a sort of catastrophe. If you broke a teacup or something, <laughs> you had to take it into the refectory and... Uh, during meals and, and do a penance for it, uh, say a prayer over it. And, and, uh, but th- this was... And, and, and we were so removed from the world uh, that we were, we, we were... I entered shortly before the Cuban Missile Crisis. Well, they did... And we never heard of any news of, of the outside world at all. Wow. And they did tell us that the world was about to be blown up. Um, <laughs> Uh, But then they forgot to tell us uh, that the crisis had been resolved. Um, So (laughs) so for three weeks, and we were never allowed to ask about news for the world. So for three weeks, we were sort of scanning the the, the horizon for mushroom clouds. Wow. um, But until eventually one of us had the courage to say, what happened About Cuba, if anything happened, and they said, "Oh, didn't we tell you? It was all over weeks ago." Ha ha ha! (laughs) But that's how removed we were. I
0: I ask you about that because your voice is really important to what's happening in the world and some of the biggest questions that we're trying to resolve. And I can't imagine you removed from that. Can you now?
1: Uh, I, I. uh, well, I, I was I was that person, and it's to, it's been a long journey to get here. I have got a birthday coming next week, which uh, a milestone, or sorry, a milestone. Well, it's, yes, it's it's got a five at the end. Does it? Yes. Uh, <laughs> happy birthday! <laughs> um, and um, because it's been a long, slow journey, and I went right away from religion. Well, after I left the convent, and I, I wanted nothing to do with it ever again, I was really uh, uh, quite broken by it. I came out, I, I left because I'd broken down. I was, uh, I, had, I suddenly started crying and couldn't stop. Uh, and uh, it, because it, it had got into an unho- unho- unholy kind of preoccupation with self, unkindness in the community. We yeah. were never allowed to make friends. And I couldn't pray, which was a real drawback for a nun, as you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you, when you
0: say you couldn't, does that mean you, you couldn't enter into whatever state you felt prayer...
1: Well... We had to do, we were, it was a Jesuit-inspired order, and so we followed the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, and he had a particular method of meditation where you had to, uh, and, I, I, and I write about it, I think if you, if you can do it, it's good, but it wasn't, it wasn't for me at all, I couldn't do it. You had to say, take the gospel scene, and the night before you would plan what you were going to think about, points one, two, and three, and then at the end of it, make some resolve. Well, I just could not keep my mind on this for more than uh, two minutes, and we started praying at six in the morning, and went on until seven, and then there was mass, and I could not do it. So every day was, every morning was a, a complete failure. And I said, I can't do this. Oh, rubbish, sister, we all have off days. (laughs) And I said, yeah, but I don't have any on days. (laughs) But so there was that. And also, it was was very cold. We weren't allowed to have friends because we were supposed to be giving all our love to God. And so we could never speak in a 2 uh, in case we got too fond of one another uh, and became uh, so it was very cold and the, the, then when I got to Oxford, they sent me there to get a degree so that I could teach in one of their schools. I started thinking
0: yeah.
1: um, and by the and I felt I was being sort of pulled into it and that 's why I, had, I broke down completely and and left, and that was really sad. I, I was horrified at the thought of leaving, and uh, and found it very difficult to engage. And you see, I never—the uh, world had completely changed in the seven years that I'd been there. I'd never heard of the Beatles, for example. <laughs> we were, i was that so far removed. Um, and uh, so I, I just dropped religion. And for, wanted nothing to do with it ever again. And look what happened. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder if
0: having gone through that still, in some ways, influences the way you see scripture today and what you feel it should it, it should really give to us.
1: Yeah, uh, because. I, I, Whenever I write a book, I start off with one idea, and then the research ta- takes me right away into an unexpected direction that I never expected to find. As I started writing this book, uh, because I was intrigued by the idea that scripture had been a performative art, nobody read scripture it's in so the old days because most people couldn't read, um, and you, it was sung and performed. The Quran word Quran means recitation, and and Muslims don't read the Quran; they listen to it, and that sound is an essential part of it. And it, you know, in the convent, one thing we, I did like was that was the Gregorian chant, mm-hmm. which has which is very very emotive. Um, so, in a sense, just reading scripture is is rather like reading the libretto of an opera. A lot of of that of that uh, musical stuff, uh, and and the rituals of the body. That we we learn, neurophysicists say, a great deal more from our bodily gestures than we know, than we realize. And so, bowing and genuflecting, it all has an effect on the psyche. Uh, But just reading scripture means. So I was interested in that, but then I discovered a whole lot of three other things. First of all, Scripture does not tell us what we're supposed to believe. In fact, it, makes, it uh, makes us realize, whether it's Indian, Chinese or monotheistic, that we don't when we talk about what we call God or Brahman or Tao, we do not know what we're talking about. Because God, this is infinite. It's ineffable. That means it's indescribable. And in my catechism years, I was asked that one of the questions was, "What is God? And quick as a flash, you had to su- say uh, that the answer was, God is the supreme spirit who alone exists of himself and is infinite in all perfections. Well, wrong. As Thomas Aquinas said, God-, God does not exist. God is not one of the things that exist because God is existence itself. Esse ipsum in Latin. Being itself is not a being. Uh, and, and, all, and, and that's true throughout the scriptures. The Brahman is the all. Um, the, everything that is. Reality. And, and the Brahman is in you and me and the tree and the birds. And you look for that sacred core in everything. And it always eludes you. Um, so scripture wasn't telling us doctrines that we had to believe and when the reformers, the protestant reformers who thought all you needed to do was read the Bible and you'd find out what what was true uh, they found they couldn't agree with one another Uh, on basic issues like the Eucharist so they couldn't worship together because scripture is not coherent it makes a muddle to remind you that when you're confronted with the divine, you've, you've gone beyond what words and thoughts can do. And the s- second thing is that scripture doesn't tell us to go back to the beginning, um, as the, you know, go back to the first century or read the original text. It's an innovative art, and it, you must always move forward. You must make those texts written centuries ago speak to now. And that means change it. Um, in, uh, that's very prevalent in Judaism, for example. Um, the, uh, rabbis after the loss of the temple in 70, when the, when the temple was destroyed by the Romans, they couldn't read the Hebrew texts anymore. It was too heartbreaking. And so they created, uh, something called Midrash, which, uh, took Uh, which means to go in search of something, darash, to go in search of something. And so if, if someone came and asked one of the rabbis a question, he would answer by taking, say, a sentence from the book of Genesis, a sentence from the book of Psalms, a sentence from the prophets, jam them together and make a new truth. And uh, this inventive form of exegesis uh, was founded by a great rabbi called Rabbi Akiva. And it was said that the fame of his uh, brilliance uh, reached heaven. And Moses got to hear about it. Uh, And he was intrigued, so he thought he'd come down and find out what was going on. (laughs) So he came down to earth and he went to to Rabbi Akiva's scripture class and sat in the back row Um, and found to his intense embarrassment that he couldn't understand a word of the Torah (laughs) that had been revealed to him on Mount Sinai. But he goes back to heaven shaking his head, rather like a proud father, saying, my sons have defeated me. And one of the rabbis said... uh, that uh, what was not revealed to Moses was revealed to Rabbi Akiva and his generation because script revelation didn't happen once, it happens all the time. And it happens every time a student stands beside his teacher. He must imagine himself on Mount Sinai and extending the revelation. And in the early editions of the Talmud, there'd be a blank page for the student to add his own insights. Wow. And if, that, if he didn't do it, uh, the revelation would not be complete. It, everybody must move forward. There's a Muslim mystic who said, every time you recite the Quran, it should mean something different to you. The last time you were here, I remember we talked
0: about how theology can be thought of like poetry. Yes. Sometimes the language fails us for the description and that yes. some of the meaning is found as in with poetry and some of the white spaces. Yes. Is, are,
1: this is, this do you is... still believe that, that? Definitely. Definitely. And it's, it's beautifully portrayed in a very ancient Indian ritual. Um, the, uh, about the 10th century BCE, uh, the Brahmin priests uh, in India... Uh, held, would like, they were very competitive, and they would held a competition to see who could uh, find a, uh, a phrase uh, in the scriptures, uh, in, in the Rig Veda, any, or their thoughts about it, that would describe the Brahman, which would say, this is Brahman. Um, and so the, uh, the challenger would start off calling on all his knowledge and learning and 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 familiarity with scripture and ritual and utter a remark about the Brahmin is this. And the others would respond using all theirs. But the winner was the the priest who reduced them all to silence. And in that silence, the Brahmin was present. It was not in the wordy declarations or the doctrines, but in the... Sudden realization of the impotence of speech. And that's what scripture should be, should be leading us to, or, or worship should be leading us to, to that moment of awe. Or, uh, the, the, the opening phrase of the Tao Te Ching, the great Taoist scripture, says the Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao. If you can say what the Tao is, that's not the Tao. Um, and if you look at the book of Genesis, too, um, you see, they're, they're, it, it does the same thing in a way. Uh, but it starts off with a f- famous chapter one uh, with God utterly powerful, utterly in control, uh, uh, just has to say a word and everything comes into being. Um, and he's also very good and kind. Uh, he blesses everything that he has made uh, without exception. At the end of each day, he says, it is good, and he blesses it. Um, but then, um, by chapter three, uh, God has completely lost control of his creation, can't control what's going on at all. And the nice, benign uh, God uh, sets out to be a cruel destroyer who, who, in the flood who wipes out nearly the whole human race and devastates the earth and then puts up some rainbow in the sky to say uh, that, that, you know, we won't do it again. Thanks. Um, uh, and, and this God that was so impartial and fair shows monstrous favoritism, constantly choosing one person after another for no reason at all, uh, able rather than Cain, Cain's done nothing wrong, he just chooses the brother and puts the seed of sorrow and hatred into Cain's heart. The Hebrew says his face crumples like a child, like a, who looks utterly shocked and dismayed at, what, at the unfairness of it. And then he commits the first murder. He chooses uh, Jacob rather than the older brother Esau. Uh, he tells Abraham to leave poor Hagar and her baby son in the desert to certain death. And this is the, 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 the God that had no favorites, that loves us all the same, we're told. And then uh, the uh, God who was always butting in in the early parts of, of, of Genesis disappears. And Joseph and his brothers have to deal with their, uh, their, their problems. And with, working well on their own insights and, and their dreams, just as we do. So that at the end, you don't know what God is. It has deconstructed that nice, clear, clear view of it. And uh, I'm telling you, don't think you can say what God is. It's a, it's a, it's a more wordy form of the Brahmaja. At the end, you don't know what God is. Because this is the world we know, where life is not fair. Uh, where um, where there are terrible, terrible natural disasters that wipe out innocent people who've done no 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 harm, um, and um, we look at this this flawed world and say, well, God's in His heaven. Well, it, Genesis takes that on and says, don't think that you you've got God that you that that, that benign God. Uh, is 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 the answer, and interestingly, um, it's inter- when 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 Moses asks God what his name is, he ans- his, The answer is "Ehye Asher eye, uh, I am what I am, and this is not some a deep thing about uh, the existence of God being you know. Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a Hebrew form of deliberate vagueness. Um, they went where they went means I don't know where they went. And I, I am what I am means never mind who I am. And he chooses, uh, he won't tell Moses his name because when you, in the ancient world if you knew somebody's name you had power over them. And uh, he chooses Moses who could Moses says to him at one point, um, look, why are you cho- choosing me? I've had this terrible speech impediment since I was a child. Nobody could understand a word I say. <laughs> and God says, don't worry, uh, your brother Aaron will speak for you. Um, and uh, so, uh, so we're only getting Moses, God's words, at second hand, really. God, who knows wh- whether Aaron really understood what was Moses was saying. Um, LAUGHTER But but then it turns out that it's Aaron, the nice, voluble, clear Aaron, who explains things so clearly and beautifully. He is guilty of the archetypal act of idolatry when he encourages the uh, Israelites to worship God in the form of a calf, a golden calf. Uh, So that... The volubility and speech about God, it can lead to, it's a form of idolatry. We are creating a God in our own image and worshipping it. And this is why, as
0: we started talking about scriptures, you said, they do not tell you what to believe. Yes. There's there's contradiction
1: and mystery and... They make you see that God is not an easy thing to name Uh, that you don't know what God is. Would you read a bit? I I think the excerpt that we've
0: chosen chosen from the beginning of the book also speaks to this.
1: Yes. What we regard as truth, therefore, is inescapably bound up with the world that we construct for ourselves. As soon as the first humans learned to manipulate tools, they created works of art to make sense of the terror, wonder, and mystery of their existence. From the very beginning, art was inextricably bound up with what we call religion, which is itself an art form. The Lascaux Caves, a cultic site in 17,000 BCE, are decorated with numinous paintings of local wildlife. And nearby, in the underground labyrinth of Trois Frères at Ariège, there are spectacular engravings of mammoths, bison, wolverines, and muskoxen. Dominating the scene is a massive painted figure, half man, half beast, who fixes his huge penetrating eyes on visitors as they stumble out of the underground tunnel that provides the only route to this prehistoric temple. Like Lion Man, I can explain who Lion Man is later, This hybrid creature transcends anything in our empirical experience but seems to reflect a sense of the underlying unity of animal, human, and divine. Lion Man introduces us to several themes that will be important in our discussion of scripture. He shows that from the very beginning, men and women were deliberately cultivating a perception of existence that differed from the empirical and had an instinctive appetite for a more enhanced state of being, sometimes called the sacred.
0: I want to talk about that experience of gazing upon Lion Man and the Lascaux Caves and whether the experience of sublime art, music, wonderful novels, literature, has something to do with channeling that kind of transcendence in a wonderful text yes. that you've write, written about. Where's
1: the commonality? Well, uh, Lion Man uh, was, is uh, an extraordinary little statuette. Um, and they was taking animal and human... And see fusing them and seeing them as divine, um, and th- instead of seeing the terror that that lion man um, uh, insp- that that lion inspired them with in their daily lives, they were embracing it, uh, worshipping it, uh, coming together with it uh, so that, you're, you're, and, and the Lascaux Caves, these extraordinary uh, caves, just getting down into them is dangerous. And these are people fighting for their lives, for their livelihood, and yet they would spend hours going down into these caves and painting in, um, in, in <coughs> deep, dark, deep, deep darkness in the depths of the earth we can see them these cave paintings now better than they ever did they were they were using tiny little lanterns and putting aside all this time for painting when instead of the desperate art struggle for survival right. but the these luminous pictures of these creatures whom they are seeing as as almost as divine and certainly this was a place used in worship and so Art and religion were fused in a way. They obviously weren't writing scriptures at that point. But when people did start writing scriptures, they too, as we've had a look, would fuse opposites together. Uh, making, as we just seen with Genesis, different ideas of God, different stories about the Brahman, a God who is terrifying and a God who is utterly benign because that's how we experience uh, life and transcendence, and not making it too easy for ourselves. So, um, yes, but it's something that we started doing at the very, very dawn of of history, as soon as we were becoming. um, Religion is an imagination, imaginative art, uh, because we're thinking of things that don't exist, and God does not exist in any way that we understand. I think at first blush, what you've just said sounds
0: like, it sounds like it is kind of contradictory to the
1: transcendence of yes. religion. It is, religion is contradictory. <laughs> um, it, you know, it, it's not all a nice smooth, uh, when we try and make it coherent, we, we, we tend to destroy it. That's when you get the, that, terrible definition of God. Isn't that, isn't that, that,
0: that pursuit of that coherence what leads many religions and many people who end up pulling away from religion, which is kind of where we started the conversation, astray? Uh, Well, that
1: they do if they, if they think that religion is giving them logical, rational truths, because it's not. Um, because because life is a mystery, and we're in it for such a short time. Uh, We we try and puzzle it out. What's it for? What are these moments when we we all have them, when we we feel sort of utterly transfigured, and uh, and yet we uh, we look at the beauty of the world, and yet we look at its pain and the suffering and dealing with our own mortality and the cruelty of human beings. I mean, uh, what, what ruins religion is us. Um, um, we, uh, we, it's our little, our little attempts to sort of make it all tidy or, or to use it to prop up our own egos and our own opinions of other people and give them a sort of sacred seal of divine approval. Um, and awful things can be done in its name.